As we come to God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we come to your word that you will uh, humble our proud hearts and open our ears, soften us to hear what your spirit is saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There was a certain minister who had died and he found himself waiting at the gates of heaven to be admitted. And while waiting, he starts chatting to the person in front of him and asks, well, what did you used to do? And the man says, well, I used to be a taxi driver in a big city, in fact, New York. And so they continue chatting and the angel calls out next. And so the taxi driver goes up to the gates and the angel hands him a golden staff. And then there's sort of like a a welcome pack of all these amazing foods, you know, wine and cheese and all sorts of things. Well, the taxi driver's a little taken back, but very pleased, takes the gifts and walks into heaven. Then the minister's called, and so with anticipation, the minister walks up to the angel, and the angel hands him a rough wooden staff and some bread and water. The minister's not at all impressed, pointing out to the angel that the person in front was a taxi driver, and he'd been a minister all his life. Well, the angel replied, up here we judge by results. Your people slept through your sermons while everyone in that taxi cab prayed. (laughs) This morning's my chance to redress the balance, to A, keep you awake during this message, and B, encourage you in prayer. Last week we started a short series on prayer, starting with Jonah who was praying from the belly of a large fish. And we saw that his prayer was based on the Psalms. He had been in God's school of prayer and the curriculum was the Psalms. And we can join that school as well. And so my challenge last week and this week for the new year is to read a psalm a day and pray a psalm a day. And last week we looked at Jonah's prayer of lament from the belly of a fish. And today we're going to look at Psalm 2. How can we pray Psalm 2? And we're going to do this for the next couple of weeks where I I select a psalm and we're going to go through it, opening up God's word. But also, how can we pray Psalm 2? We'll look at uh, three things today. We'll do an initial reading and see how that initial reading can help us pray. But then we'll do a closer reading and we'll focus on the royal theme That goes through Psalm 2. And then finally, we will have another careful reading, but we'll pick up on the fear of God and what that means. So an initial reading. My suggestion for those, and a number of people have told me that they, in fact, I had four different people tell me different experiences over over either the last week or the last few months where God has encouraged them, and they had started reading and praying a psalm a day. Uh, This was before my message. One as a couple and others as individuals. So obviously the Spirit's nudging and encouraging us to do this. So what do we do? Uh, In our devotional time, whether it's in the morning or the evening, we open to our psalm and we do an initial reading. Read it once, twice, and just let it flow over. And at least out loud once, at least. So I'm going to read Psalm 2 and just uh, let it flow over. You can follow it in the newsletter. And just what's your initial pressure? Uh, without you know thinking too deeply, what's your initial impression for Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, 
Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, as Psalms go, that's, that's a bit of a tricky one to get some initial reading. Some of the Psalms so naturally overflow and reflect our heart, but this is a bit of a, a tricky one. So, what were some initial thoughts or impressions that you got? Well, for me, in my initial reading, the first thing I picked up after I read it a couple of times is that the nations, they rage and they shake their fists at God. But God's not worried at all. In fact, we're told here that he laughs. Uh, this is the only scripture reference of God laughing, and it's in this verse here. He laughs. And the third thing that I picked up was quite personal. Blessed are those who take refuge in him, that last verse. That was just a lovely sense of, oh, I can, you know, I can pray that. So that's an initial reading. So what can we do with that? Well, you can take those and weave those into your prayer that despite the comings and goings and the, and the shaking of the fists and the, and the gnashing against God, no matter how the nations rage, our mighty God, the living God, is not worried at all. He has everything in control. And so how does that affect my prayer? Well, it means I can praise him, I can worship him, no matter what is in the news about what nations are doing to themselves and each other and how far they are moving away from God, we can still praise and worship God in our prayer because he has everything in control. In fact, he has his anointed that will rule over all the nations. So we worship. But also there's that lovely blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so uh, it may be that you're going through a very difficult time. You can claim this verse. Lord, things are pretty tough at the moment. It might be finances, it might be at work, it might be with a relationship. And you might say, well, Lord, I actually, I need to have you as my refuge. And you can lean into God in prayer. Or maybe you can look back to a few months ago when things were really tough and God was your refuge. And can you say, oh, thank you, Lord, for really helping me during that time. And so what you're doing here is we're starting to use that psalm to, to nudge and guide our prayers. And even if we, even if we stop there, then we've done well because we can then lead on to praying for our specific needs, giving thanks, a time of confession and our normal prayer life. We've enrolled in the school of prayer. We've prayed that psalm with an initial reading. But I encourage you to think and pray a little bit deeper. And so what can we learn with a more careful reading? Well, as I mentioned last week, keep your radar up for 
a royal theme, the mention of a king. Maybe in the introduction, there's often a sentence or two in italics, and if it's from King David, then obviously that, that psalm has a kingly-type theme that's going through it. And whenever you see the mention directly or indirectly of the king, then we think Jesus. How does Jesus connect with this royal theme? And we see in verse 2, that the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So in this psalm, there is God and his anointed. In the original language, the word anointed is Messiah. That's that's the Hebrew for anointed. And of course, that directly means that we're talking here about Jesus. We have Heavenly Father and Jesus. The nations are raging, but they have it in control. God has set his anointed to rule over the nations. And not only that, but we're told, and here's two very important things about the anointed. And the first thing we are told is that the anointed is God's son. We see that in verse 7. The Lord said to me, so this is, this is the father speaking to the anointed, speaking to the son. The father said to the son, you are my son today, I have begotten you. You are my son. And of course, this echoes Jesus' baptism. Remember, Jesus was baptized, went under the waters of the Jordan River, and when he came up, the Holy Spirit came down, and there was a voice from heaven, you are my son. And then in the transfiguration, we have the disciples, three disciples, cloud comes down, you are my son whom I love. And so Psalm 2 very much echoes what will come to be. But there's another phrase there too. Today I have begotten you. Today I have begotten you. Now this calls into question the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. What does this day I have begotten you? Wasn't Jesus with his Father before time and before creations? In fact, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons will use this verse to attack our idea of the Trinity. They use this and the term firstborn, which applies to Jesus. Today I have begotten you, Jesus is the firstborn. And so Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses will say that we are wrong with the Trinity, that there was a time when it was only God and then his first act of creation was Jesus. And therefore we are very wrong to worship Jesus because he was created. And they point to this verse to challenge our view of the Trinity. We say, no, no, before time, before matter was created, before the Big Bang, before everything, there was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect communion and unity, complete without need. And so therefore, we can and do worship Jesus because he was not created. So how do we resolve today, I have begotten you? Well, the sense is very clear in the New Testament that the begotten and firstborn don't apply to creation but apply to the resurrection. They apply to the resurrection. Listen to Paul as he quotes this very verse. It's Acts 13. He's in a synagogue full of Jews, and he's trying to convince the Jewish folk that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he quotes this very verse. And so we see this in Acts chapter 13, verse 33 and 34. By raising Jesus... As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead. Now we haven't got time to follow 
the flow of Paul's argument. But notice that you are my son today, I have begotten. You notice that before it, it's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And straight after that, then he has been raised from the dead. Paul quotes that exact verse in the context of the resurrection. So we can read Psalm 2 by saying today, referring to Easter Sunday. Today, Easter Sunday, I have begotten you because you are the firstborn from the dead. That is a response to those that criticize us for worshiping Jesus because of the whole idea that Jesus was created. No, Jesus was not created. He is the firstborn from the dead. Revelation makes us very clear. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, it's not of creation, but the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this verse also leads us in to the next thing we learn about the Messiah. Not only is he the Lord's son, but also Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Ruler of the kings of the earth. And we see this back in Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So in this closer reading of Psalm 2, not only is the anointed one Jesus God's son, but he will rule over the nations. And there's that whole concept of an iron rod or an iron scepter. And of course, the scepter was a symbol of a king's supreme rule. And in biblical days, iron was the toughest metal known. So there was an iron scepter. Now, in the Bible, only Jesus is referred to the one that holds the iron scepter. Only Jesus is the ruler of the nations. And again, if we pick up some verses in Revelation, they help explain that Jesus is the ruler over the nations. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Just like in Psalm 2, here in Revelation, says that concept where the ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus, will judge and break their folly, their pride, like an iron rod could break a piece of pottery. Revelation 12, 5. This is the vision that's in the middle of Revelation where it's talking about Mary giving birth to Jesus in the terms of a dragon and all that stylized language. But Revelation 12, 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And finally in Revelation, in the very last battle, just as Satan is defeated and just before he's thrown into hell, Revelation 19.15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And so Psalm 2 is pointing to Jesus. He is the Son of God and he will rule the nations. And this is why we worship the living God. This reflected again in our prayers as we adore him, as our confidence in him is boosted, as we realize that Jesus is ruling and will rule over the nations. Deepens our prayer as we understand more about Jesus and worship him. So we've had initial reading and our first careful reading. We've picked up the royal theme but when I read it again, I picked up on the idea of fearing God. Did you pick that up in verse 11? 
It said, serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear. And I was thinking, is there a place for fear in our walk with God? And in particular, is there a place of fear in our prayers? Now, some people will say no. Some people will say there is no place for fear now that Christ has come. And they point rightly to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Now, this is the wonderful freedom of the gospel. Because God loves us, because Christ died for us, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, then when we face judgment, we have no fear. Because when we face God's judgment, Christ has taken our punishment upon him. And so we do not fear. Instead, when we come to judgment, as we cling to Christ, we will be spared and not only spared, but welcomed into the kingdom of God with everlasting and abundant life. So when it comes to punishment, those who look to Christ have no fear. But the fear of the Lord is more nuanced than this. There is a place, an important place for Christians to fear God, even though we are loved as his children. Listen to the second part of verse 11, Psalm 2 verse 11. In fact, if you ever come to the fear of God and you think, what's it about? Always turn to Psalm 2.11 because Psalm 2.11 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's interesting that fear, rejoice and trembling, those three words don't seem to go together, do they? Not in the same sentence. Well, let's see if we can unpack this. When it comes to facing Jesus, the judge of the living of the dead, which we all must do, there are two reactions. That means everyone in this room, when we face Jesus, there will be two reactions, possible reactions. For some, it will be fear. For those who reject God's anointed one, this fear will be terrifying because it is the punishment that will come. And this is exactly what Psalm 2 is warning the nations. They're saying, don't rebel against God. Accept God's anointed. Come before him. Kiss the son. Now, that kiss means as, as a kiss of submission, which was very common in the ancient Near East. May have affection with it, but it's more bowing down. It's an act of submission. So this psalm is saying, you will be judged, and it will be a fearful thing. So come to God while you can. Come to his anointed. So at judgment day, there will be two reactions. There will be either fear because of punishment. There's a second response, though. It will be a fear but it will be a fear of trembling with joy. And this is the fear that Christians have before God. And a better word to help us would be the word awe. We are in awe of God, and so we tremble with joy. It's really hard to get your head wrapped around this, but it's a, it's a wonderful, enriching attitude to bring to our prayers if we get it right. Let me help you explain what this trembling joy of fear looks like suppose you are tramping in fjordland and you've been skirting the side of a range when you round a corner and when you do you draw breath because before you is a steep gorge flanked by magnificent mountain vistas it's breathtaking and you stop and you are in awe 
And then you see the swing bridge you have to cross. And it's small, and well, it swings. (laughs) And the drop is deep, but there is no other option. So with more than a little trembling. Now for keen trampers, they would say, that that trembling is mixed with joy as they put their first step on that swing bridge. Now, why the nervousness? Because what causes awe is also dangerous. What causes awe can take your life away. Now, we trust the engineers who designed and built the bridge, but it doesn't stop us trembling. And for those, like I said, for those keen people, there will be a significant element of joy as they take that first and second step, mixed with trembling. Because they think, this is amazing to be here. And the views are wonderful. I'm with good friends, and life doesn't get much better than this, but I'm scared witless. And you know, it's similar with God. One day we will see him in his holiness. And even now when we glimpse him in his holiness, it is a fearful thing. Why? Because of the awe and the majesty, but also because God is not safe. Our God is a dangerous God. He is all-loving and all-kind, but he is not safe. Here's another illustration I'll throw in the mix. Imagine you're the child, young child, of the president of a country in Africa, say, who has significant power. And your dad is a loving dad and he's fair and he's a kind. But your father also has the power of life and death when it comes to executing criminals. And now and again, your father executes appropriate justice. So your father loves you dearly, but he is also someone to be feared but only those who break the law. It's a very difficult concept to get across. It's something you've got to kind of feel from the gut. It is appropriate that Christians come with a sense of trembling awe and joy before the living God. And that's what it is to fear. So like I said, when you were reading the Psalms, when you're reading the Bible and there is this encouragement to fear God, If you have not made peace with God, then that fear is a fear of punishment. But because Jesus came, we don't have to fear that anymore. It becomes a fear of trembling joy. Can you imagine how that affects your prayers? As you pray to a God and say, Lord, help me not to take you for granted. Give me a sense of awe and wonder of your majesty and your grace. The challenge with the West is that we have focused on the love of God and not the holiness of God. And even though the love of God is wonderful and all accomplishing, we do miss that holiness and that sense of awe and that sense of our God is not a safe God. He loves us to bits, but he's also a God of holiness and justice. So let's bring this together. What have we looked at today? Well, to encourage you to read a psalm a day, We've chosen and we've looked at Psalm 2. We've done an initial reading. What are those things that we can just jot down and then pray and worship God? And it's lovely to do that. I encourage you to do that with Psalms. Some Psalms are really easy. Some take a little bit of work. Second thing we've done, we've done a careful reading, picked up on the theme of holiness, how that points to Jesus. 
We've seen that Psalm 2 very clearly says that Jesus, the, the anointed one, is God's son, and clearly that he will rule the nations. The third thing we've picked up and started exploring this holy fear of God. Just to close, just a challenge. As I've been talking about the fear of God, where have you been? Are you someone that when you talk, we, I talk about the judgment, that you are fearful because of punishment? Can I encourage you to come to Christ and know the difference from the fear of God, which is punishment, and move to the fear of God, which is my heavenly Father loves me, and to tremble with joy. So if you'd like to make that transition from fearing God because of punishment, then like the Psalm 2, which encourages the nations to come and make peace with God's anointed, to kiss the Son, to be spared from his wrath, then please come and see me afterwards. I've got a lovely booklet, the Why Jesus booklet, which is a wonderful booklet that just helps you explore what it means to come to faith and to to grow in faith. But don't go home today without being assured that when you come to judgment that you'll be able to look Jesus in the eye and be full of awe but not fear of punishment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 2 and all the wonder that it contains and that and David just praising and worshipping you. Help us to include the Psalms in our prayers and to grow in that depth and richness. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. May we know that Jesus is the Son of God, your Son, that we worship him with joy and that he will rule the nations. And help us to experience a trembling and joyful awe of your majesty and holiness, your beauty and your glory. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you.